Section 37 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Failure of Initiative final report of the select bipartisan committee to investigate the preparation for and response to hurricane katrina by the united states house of representatives law enforcement part two finding the new orleans police department was ill prepared for continuity of operations and lost almost all effectiveness new orleans police department had not prepared for flooding the collapse of law enforcement was particularly notable in New Orleans. Despite the well-known threat from flooding, the New Orleans Police Department had not taken some basic steps to protect its resources and ensure continuity of operations. For example, communications nodes, evidence rooms, and even emergency generators were housed in lower floors that were susceptible to flooding. In 2004, the police department reportedly produced an elaborate hurricane plan, which was issued to all commanders. But according to a reporter who was present during Katrina and reviewed police operations, it stayed on their bookshelves, and the department never ran exercises to familiarize officers with the plan. Few officers the reporter spoke with even knew the plan existed. When the levees broke, the floodwaters overtook police headquarters and district offices. As a result, the department lost its command and control and communications functions. The dispatch and 9-11 call center ceased to function. Most police vehicles had not been moved out of harm's way and were lost to the floodwaters. The flooding created impassable roads, which prevented the New Orleans Police Department from using their few remaining vehicles in most parts of the city. This left officers to patrol without any communications or transportation. With no command and control or guidance, there was no unified command or clear priorities within the department. One reporter who was on the scene wrote that, quote, as an institution, the New Orleans Police Department disintegrated with the first drop of flood water. End quote. Missing police officers led to a law enforcement manpower shortage. Further, hundreds of New Orleans Police Department officers went missing, some for understandable reasons and some not, at a time they were needed the most. This left the city unable to provide enough manpower and other resources to maintain law and order at shelters and on the streets. All New Orleans Police Department officers are required to reside within the city limits, so a majority of the city's officers were personally affected by Katrina. Whether it was damage to their homes or the health and safety of family members, many New Orleans Police Department officers, like members of the general public, were trapped in their homes and needed to be rescued during the critical days and hours after the levees failed and the flood waters rose. Dereliction of duty by New Orleans police officers factored significantly into the department's inability to marshal an effective response. Original reports indicated that up to 320 officers, of its 1,750 officer force, resigned, were terminated, or are under investigation for abandoning their duties. 
However, on December 14, Mayor Nagin testified that as of that date, 133 officers had been terminated or resigned after Hurricane Katrina, and said many of the original reports did not account for nearly 100 officers who were trapped or stranded on rooftops and unable to report to duty for that reason. Regardless, the New Orleans police force was severely depleted. As a result, many residents were unable to obtain police assistance. Calls for help to the city's 9-11 system went unanswered. Some of the officers were also apparently involved in criminal activities. Officials from the Louisiana Attorney General's office said they are investigating thefts of luxury vehicles from a car dealership allegedly perpetrated by New Orleans Police Department officers. The dealership, Sewell Cadillac Chevrolet, reported that several police officers had absconded with several brand-new Cadillac Escalades. The Louisiana State Police provided relatively quick assistance. Although the New Orleans Police Department had lost its command and control capabilities, the Louisiana State Police operated under its own broad law enforcement statutory mandate. Thus, state police were able to move into the affected area quickly. As the significance of Katrina became evident, state police seized other law enforcement activities to focus on New Orleans's needs. Police had limited resources to stop looting in downtown New Orleans. Given the situation, police had limited resources with which to stop the looting, and even when police were present to restore law and order, they did not have the resources to arrest, book, and detain suspects. One major problem was the loss of the booking and jail systems. Booking and jailing are done not by the New Orleans Police Department, but by the parish criminal sheriff. Sheriffs in each parish are constitutional positions independent from the parish president or mayor or police. The sheriff's booking offices and jails were flooded and therefore useless. While criminals, such as looters, could be apprehended by law enforcement officers, there was nowhere to book them or jail them. Many people originally apprehended for looting were just let go. Finding. Lack of a government public communication strategy and media hype of violence exacerbated public concerns and further delayed relief. Governments appeared to lack any public communication strategy and media and public officials fed rumors. Public communications is a key aspect of emergency management, and this function has its own emergency support function in the NRP. In Louisiana, and particularly New Orleans, the federal, state, and local governments did not appear to have a public communication strategy to deal with the media. This problem was particularly severe in the area of law enforcement and crime. The media played a positive role in Hurricane Katrina in many aspects, such as providing situational awareness to government authorities and the public, and many media reports of violence were substantiated and responsibly reported. For example, MSNBC provided live coverage of looters, including police officers, ransacking a local Walmart in New Orleans. However, other media reports were based on rumors that were either false or highly exaggerated, 
undermining the value of the situational awareness being provided. CNN reported repeatedly, on September 1, for example, that evacuations at the Superdome were suspended because, quote, someone fired a shot at a helicopter, end quote. State and local officials later said much of the rampant shooting, reported, was actually from trapped individuals who were firing weapons into the air to attract rescuers. According to state officials, rumors and reports of people shooting at helicopters were difficult to substantiate at the time, but in the end there were no bullet holes found in any helicopters. Again, people firing into the air may have been the origin of this rumor. Other reports of people shooting at helicopters taking patients to hospitals were never verified, nor were stories of two babies found with their throats slit in convention center bathrooms, or of the man who heard a rape victim scream, ran outside for help, and was shot and killed by troops. State law enforcement officials expressed frustration over media reports of crime. Many of these officials said the media greatly exaggerated reports of crime and lawlessness. They said any reports from the Superdome and Convention Center were generally difficult to substantiate. Few crime victims ever came forward to the police. Without an official complaint, victim, or eyewitness, it was nearly impossible for the police to assess the credibility of rumors or conduct an investigation. On September 1, during a FEMA video conference call, FEMA Federal Coordinating Officer William Loki stated that, quote, media reports and what we are getting from unseen were contradictory and we did not have a clear picture of what exactly went on, end quote. Managing the spread of false or highly exaggerated rumors proved difficult and consequential for officials on the ground. On September 1, Colonel Jeff Smith, Deputy Director, Louisiana Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, told public officials that, quote, the rumor control on this thing is going to be key. Some of the things you hear, some of it has probably partial basis in fact, but there's a lot of exaggeration going on there, end quote. False media reports impeded the relief effort and affected decisions on where to direct resources. When asked whether exaggerated media reports impeded rescue efforts, Colonel Terry J. Ebert, Director of Homeland Security, City of New Orleans, responded, Absolutely. Mayor Nagin testified that, quote, Dealing with the realities of all the multiplicity of challenges that we had, managing rumors was the thing that we spent way too much time doing. End quote. At the strategic level, public officials did not have a strategy to get ahead of the information curve to use the media to the public's advantage and quell rumors. On the contrary, Mayor Nagin and the New Orleans Chief of Police repeated unsubstantiated rumors before the national media, creating an exaggerated image of utter lawlessness. New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin told Oprah Winfrey that hundreds of armed gang members were raping women and committing murder in the Superdome. The occupants, he said, were in an almost animalistic state, in that frickin' Superdome for five days watching dead bodies, watching hooligans killing people, raping people. 
Many news outlets also covered Nagin's claim that the city's death toll would top 10,000. Police Superintendent Eddie Compass went further, and told Oprah, We had little babies in there getting raped. Compass was also reported as saying officers were shot at inside the convention center, but couldn't return fire because of the families. He said officers caught 30 suspects by rushing at muzzle flashes. Many of these media reports, particularly of rampant violence in the Superdome, appear to be completely unsubstantiated. National Guard officials, who were on the scene, believe these reports were highly exaggerated. Lieutenant General H. Stephen Blum, chief of the National Guard Bureau, stated, quote, the media is not supposed to be inciting an insurrection. It is not supposed to be advertising and hyping lawlessness. End quote. National Guard officials said there were numerous reports and rumors of rape and assault, but guardsmen and police could not find any witness, victim, or anyone willing to report the crime firsthand. Only two arrests were made by the police. Of the six deaths in the Superdome, none were crime related. Guard officials said there were only 50 weapons found among the 25,000 to 30,000 people searched as they entered the Superdome. According to the Guard and police, the people in the Superdome were very unhappy and anxious, but they were never out of control. The exaggerated media reports of violence, which some of the evacuees had picked up on their transistor radios, served to further evacuees' anxiety pushing some close to the boiling point. Like the Superdome, there were media reports of violence and lawlessness in the convention center. For example, the Times-Picayune reported that guard troops found 30 to 40 decomposing bodies piled in a freezer at the convention center. But again, these reports were generally uncorroborated. There were only four dead bodies recovered from the convention center. The National Guard officials that secured the site said they encountered no lawlessness or any resistance when they moved in to clear out the convention center. As an indication of the generally peaceful conditions of the crowd, they reported there were only 13 weapons found among the 19,000 people searched before they boarded the buses. NOPD Captain Jeff Wynne said, however, he made several approaches to the convention center during those first few days and saw muzzle flashes. He also suggested crime went unreported because of the continuing danger in the convention center, the lack of law enforcement resources to investigate and detain suspects, and the dispersal of witnesses when the evacuation of the facility was complete. He also reported he saw a body with puncture wounds. Exaggerated Media Reports of Crime Further Delayed Relief Efforts The hyped media coverage of violence and lawlessness, legitimized by New Orleans authorities, served to delay relief efforts by scaring away truck and bus drivers, increasing the anxiety of those in shelters, and generally increasing the resources needed for security. With regard to the impact of the media reports on the hurricane recovery, Lieutenant General Blum, Chief of the National Guard Bureau testified, quote, They, the media reports, also prevented truck drivers coming in with the most needed supplies, water, food, ice, shelter, medicine. 
they were afraid to come in they had to be escorted in by national guard convoys which took other manpower away from the relief efforts to go help get the commercial truckers that the civilian organizations had contracted to come in and help the people they delayed getting the exact commodities from getting to the people that they were complaining weren't getting the commodities state officials reported the hysterical and uncontrolled media images led to much confusion as the broadcast media reports became widely seen and heard the superdome population became increasingly agitated reports of truck drivers and fema employees turning around due to security concerns did not help the situation first assistant attorney general nicholas gachasson said those in lesser affected neighborhoods were afraid to evacuate as looting fears prompted them to stay at their residences similarly the governor's chief of staff andy Coppolin, reported that one thousand fema employees set to arrive in new orleans on wednesday august thirty one turned back due to security concerns in repeating unsubstantiated rumors of mayhem news reporters unwillingly helped slow an already slow response and further wound an already wounded population finding emac and military assistance were critical for restoring law and order. The Emergency Management Assistance Compact, EMAC, the State-to-State -State Assistance Compact, facilitated the deployment of resources to the hardest-hit regions. The Emergency Management Assistance Compact, EMAC, is a mutual aid agreement and partnership between states to provide resources to one another during times of emergency. EMAC offers state-to-state -state assistance during governor-declared states of emergency. Ratified by Congress in 1996, 49 states and the District of Columbia have enacted legislation to become members of EMAC. EMAC is administered by the National Emergency Management Association, NEMA. NEMA provides the day-to-day -day managerial support and technical infrastructure for EMAC operations and training programs. EMAC works as follows. 1. Governor declares a state of emergency. 2. A representative from the State Emergency Management Agency notifies the EMAC National Coordinating Group. 3. Affected state requests an EMAC team to be deployed to its emergency operations center. This EMAC team is called an A-team. 4. A-team arrives at State Emergency Operations Center and begins coordinating statewide EMAC resource requests. These resource requests are broadcast to all members of the compact soliciting assistance. 5. States willing to assist respond to the broadcast and coordinate with the A-team the specifics of the transaction, including costs. The A-team helps the affected state choose from available resources. 6. Formal requisitions are finalized specifying, as precisely as possible, the resources that will be made available and their costs. 7. Resources are sent to the affected states. 8. Responding State submits reimbursement request. 9. Affected State reimburses Responding State. EMAC is executed by eight components. 
1. Requesting State. EMAC State, operating under a governor declared emergency, requests assistance. 2. Assisting State. EMAC State responds to a request for assistance. 3. Authorized Representative. State official empowered to request assistance or commit state resources in response to a request. 4. Designated Contact. EMAC subject matter expert within each member state. 5. National Coordination Group, NCG. National EMAC Group during non-emergencies. The NCG stands ready to activate EMAC as emergencies develop. 6. National Coordinating Team, NCT. When the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA activate their National Response Coordination Center, NRCC, to coordinate the federal response and recovery operations during emergencies, EMAC deploys an NCT to serve at the NRCC in Washington, D.C. From the NRCC, the NCT coordinates EMAC's national response. 7. Regional Coordinating Team, RCT. If FEMA activates a Regional Response Coordination Center, RRCC, a parallel EMAC-RCT is deployed. From the RRCC, the RCT coordinates deployed EMAC components responding throughout the affected region. 8. Other Member States. During times of emergencies, EMAC members are charged with monitoring the situation and to stand ready to assist as appropriate. In supporting the response to Hurricane Katrina, a two-person EMAC A-team was deployed to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on Sunday, August 28. Jeff Smith was identified as the Louisiana State EMAC coordinator. In Mississippi, Bill Brown, Operations Branch Chief, Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, coordinated EMAC. On August 29, the A-team was increased to four people, and shortly thereafter, the team increased to eight members in Louisiana and nine members in Mississippi. Through EMAC, a sizable contingent was deployed to assist Louisiana and Mississippi in the aftermath of Katrina. In Louisiana, 27,727 personnel were deployed through EMAC by September 13, and during the same time frame in Mississippi, 18,247 people deployed. There were 680 requests for assistance in Louisiana and 723 in Mississippi. The total estimated cost for Louisiana is $201.8 million, and for Mississippi, $314.1 million. EMAC's total Katrina response involved processing 1,403 requests for assistance and 46,288 personnel deployments for a total estimated cost of $515.9 million. The most commonly requested resources included firefighters, search and rescue personnel, hazmat personnel, emergency medical technicians, state police, sheriffs, fish and wildlife personnel, corrections personnel, livestock inspectors, bridge inspectors, airport maintenance personnel, ambulances, medical doctors, registered nurses, and National Guard troops. 
EMAC officials have acknowledged a significant population of self-deployed personnel, a large majority of which were local and state police officers who deployed to the scene in what is believed to be a spontaneous response to media reports of lawlessness in southern Louisiana. Due to the ad hoc nature of these self-deployed officers, public figures are not known. As the ranks of EMAC deployed law enforcement officials and officially deployed federal law enforcement officials continued to grow in the region, the number of self-deployed personnel is believed to have declined rapidly. Without an official deployment, the self-deployed personnel were acting without proper authority, without liability protection, and without eligibility for expense reimbursement. National Guard played a key role in restoring and maintaining law and order. <clears throat> law and order were eventually restored as local law enforcement officers were supplemented, first by state military troops. The National Guard played a substantial role in providing security and restoring law and order. The Louisiana National Guard was deployed before landfall and provided security at the Superdome that helped maintain order there. Once looting broke out in New Orleans, they also patrolled the streets. The Mississippi National Guard was vital to restoring order and providing security in the aftermath of the storm. According to Carwile, for example, a massive National Guard presence helped quell problems with isolated looting in the western affected counties, Pearl River and Hancock, within two days after the storm. The Alabama National Guard was also deployed before landfall, providing a security task force for Mobile and Baldwin counties. National Guards from other states also sent units through the EMAC process to perform security or law enforcement duties. In Mississippi, nearly 11,000 troops from 19 other states' National Guards joined more than 4,500 Mississippi National Guard troops in missions related to law enforcement, as well as other missions, by September 10, 12 days after landfall. For example, Arkansas provided 310 guardsmen from a military police company to provide security in Mississippi. Similarly, the Louisiana National Guard's security forces were supplemented by thousands of guardsmen from other states. Through EMAC, Louisiana was able to request and receive assistance from scores of states from across the country. Examples of the larger deployments included 2,426 infantry from Pennsylvania, 1,016 military police from Puerto Rico, 580 security troops from Michigan, 500 support troops from Arkansas, 535 security troops from Massachusetts, and 350 security troops from Tennessee. Assistant Secretary of Defense Paul McHale, in his testimony before the Select Committee, provided details on the extent of assistance provided by the National Guard. He stated that, quote, when violence erupted in New Orleans, the National Guard Bureau coordinated the deployment of 4,200 National Guard MPs, 1,400 each day, every day, for three days in a row, a law enforcement presence nearly three times the size of the New Orleans Police Department, end quote. There was a general consensus among federal, state, and local officials 
that EMAC worked very well for National Guard troops. Regarding military alone, by November 3, for Louisiana, there were a total of 451 EMAC requests and 29,502 guardsmen who came from other states. Many of these out-of-state guardsmen performed security and law enforcement functions and, like the Louisiana National Guard, operated under the Louisiana Governor's Title 32 authority. DOD active duty forces played an important, but less active, role in maintaining law and order. While they were not immediately deployed, DOD active duty forces also played a role in restoring and maintaining law and order. For example, the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne arrived in New Orleans on September 3, five days after landfall, and, according to the city's director of Homeland Security, had a calming effect by their mere presence on the street. Precautions were taken to prevent DOD active duty forces from direct law enforcement missions, thereby avoiding posse comitatus issues. For more details on the use of the military, see the military chapter. Law enforcement personnel from other states also played a key role in restoring and maintaining law and order. Civilian law enforcement agencies from other states and localities also provided personnel through the EMAC process to supplement beleaguered state and local police. In Mississippi, local, state, and FEMA officials noted that assistance from Florida's law enforcement and emergency management agencies, as well as law enforcement from other states, plus the delivery of commodities Florida prepositioned in the panhandle, were key to providing security and restoring order in southern Mississippi after landfall. Florida, in particular, was instrumental in the early days, and received high praise from Mississippi officials for the manner in which that state's teams provided security, established an incident command structure in the coastal counties, and conducted some of the first search-and-rescue missions the night after the storm. As noted earlier, Florida helped alleviate some of Mississippi's security problems by sending into the state some of the commodities it had prepositioned in the Panhandle region, in anticipation of the hurricane striking further east than it eventually did. Florida's supplies of food, water, and ice helped relieve the situation in Mississippi. While Florida and Alabama were among the first states to provide Mississippi with law enforcement assistance, they were not alone. Mississippi received assistance from Arkansas, South Carolina, and Georgia's state police, or other state law enforcement agencies. For example, South Carolina provided 118 law enforcement personnel with equipment to Mississippi. Louisiana also benefited from a very large influx of law enforcement personnel from other states. Like their counterparts in Mississippi, local, state, and federal officials involved in Louisiana's response to Katrina said EMAC was critical to restoring law and order. The EMAC process was not always smooth. For example, a sheriff from Michigan and a sheriff from Alabama were at the Louisiana border but could not assist because no EMAC request had been made. The Jefferson Parish Sheriff had apparently not made a request through the state EOC for the assistance, 
a requirement for providing law enforcement assistance through EMAC. Also, as late as September 2, EMAC requests simply had not been made. According to Josh Filler, the director of DHS's Office of State and Local Government Coordination, on the September 2 video teleconference, quote, my office has received numerous phone calls from law enforcement organizations across the country, major city police chiefs, national sheriffs, who want to help, but we have encouraged them not to self-deploy to New Orleans or to Louisiana, but to work through the system, but they are saying that their states are not receiving requests for assistance. End, quote. End of section 37